vacation up to Burr Oak today, and so we need to get up there and start to get organized because I have to give a different message there than here. And so Randy said if I start talking about a baby dedication, he's going to come up and chase me off the stage. So. <laughs> We, uh, if you have your bulletin insert out, and I hope you do, we're starting a new sermon series this week, and it's called The Church. And this initial uh, installment will be called Of First Importance, and you'll see why when we get to the scripture reading in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, but so one of the things I, w- I want to just point out, though, or talk about before we move on uh, into the new series is I, I don't want to forget the last series. Um, if you're like me at all, what, what happens is uh, the preacher gets up and he says, okay, you know, old, we're finished with that other series and now we're moving on into the new series. And so my mind does some sort of a flip and I forget everything that he talked about in the last whatever. I don't know if you like that, but I am. So uh, confession, right? But from that last series, remember what it was. It was the idea of Jesus Christ walking up to a fellow named Peter and just simply saying, let's take this out a little deeper. Let's do something different than you're normally used to. And he did, and he was astonished at what God did in his life. And not only that, but he was so astonished, and things changed so dramatically that he never ever was again the same. He left everything behind, and he followed Jesus from that point forward. So if you the last sermon series, if you take anything away from it then, as we move into this new series, take the understanding that Jesus Christ wants you as individuals to take it a little deeper. He wants us as his people to be astonished at his presence and his movement and his love and his desire in our life. And when we see that, he wants us to be the folk, he wants to be the focus of our lives from that point forward. And we always and continuously follow. That setting then, that foundation, is we move into the new series of that individual calling of the Luke chapter 5 that we did. And now how do we apply it into a corporate understanding of us as individuals joining together as a church family and with a church directive, a church responsibilities, the responsibility that God places on us to carry the gospel out of this building, out of our hearts, out of the astonishment that he would come into somebody's life like mine and deem me something so completely different. It's astonishing. And so how do I apply my astonishment with yours and together we are the church family And we truly are the hands and feet of Christ. So this church is the name of the new series. And really, if you asked Angie and I, you know, what is at the core of what you do? And what really drives you? And it really would be this understanding of the church. And it's not that for the last 15 years, Angie and I have been had just this press down on it. And I had a conversation with her this morning. It's been longer than that. It's almost from the moment each of us were saved that God introduced us to this really desire in our hearts to be um, workers in, in the church. And it doesn't mean that we're um, 
experts, what it means is that we're just like you. We're trying to get through this and try to process what it means when God looks at me and you as a corporate body and calls us his bride. What on earth do you do with that? It is a startling, unbelievable thing that he would say we can be the hands and feet of Christ. He says things like that, and and I tell you, it just kind of blows me away. And so even after all this time, even after I know that it's my calling, I know that it's what God desires for Angie and I, he brought us together for this specific purpose. I still don't have it quite figured out. How we come together, sinners all, imperfect people, and be worthy of being called his bride. There's a studies that you can find if you look it up. It's about POWs. And they've done this, they interview them when they come home and, and they've endured all punishment after punishment. And they just talk to them and say, tell us about your experience. And, and, and time and time again, what they found was no matter what kind of physical or emotional or any kind of stress or punishment or torture they put these fellows through, the almost a, a repetitive theme is the worst that could have ever got was when they took them and they isolated them from their peer group. The people, the other soldiers who were POWs, the guys that they were had things in common with, the ones that they could tell their story to and the ones that they could say, my gosh, I can't hardly take it, and they would support each other. And they would separate them from them and put them in isolation. And the soldiers said, that the POW said, that was the worst it could possibly be. I could take any beating, I could take any torture, but I could not stand to be separated from the people that knew me and that cared about me and that we held each other. When we talk about the church, that's exactly what Satan tries to do. Ephesians chapter 6 makes it perfectly clear that there is a spiritual battle that is waging around us at all times. It's never ending and is there for the battle of the souls of men. And so when we are a unified group of soldiers um, battling for the Lord, so to speak, we are almost an impenetrable force. But nonetheless, First Peter tells us that we have an enemy that is a ferocious lion roaming the world looking to devour his prey. He cannot take us anymore because we are children of God. We are the body of Christ. But nonetheless, he can destroy our strength and our efforts when he divides us and separates us and isolates us. And we forget that we have a church family that we can call up and lean on and say, pray for me. Because you know me and you know what I'm going through. And they say, I care. But they want to, he wants to isolate us and take us away from the church. And I, I am bringing this all up, and maybe I'm off course already, but this is just such an important matter. Because I don't mean this church specifically, but look at the churches. Do some studies of what's taking place in our country. And churches are dividing because the doggone, they can't agree on the color of the sanctuary. It's just insanity. And Satan's going right on. The gospel will never be carried out of that church again because we've ruined it with our selfishness and our isolation of each other and with each other and from each other. This is such an important matter. The church, the bride of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ, the body of Christ. That's who we are. 
And heaven help us if we reduce it to something that happens an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday. And if we're really good Christians, we help out on Wednesday night. When we hear about events that are happening up just a few miles from us, tragedies, people's lives crushed, and they'll never be the same again. The church. We have to be the buffer zone between Satan's power and the power that we have that has been given to us because of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? We begin this service or the series called The Church with this focus scripture that's in your bulletin today and it'll be on the screen as well. In Him, that is Jesus Christ, that is the cross of Christ, the one who came and died for me and for you and brings us together with the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. Do you feel like you're a holy temple and do we feel like we're a holy temple? What do we are processing in this church? And what is our product on the streets during the Monday through Fridays or Monday through Saturdays? And in Him, in Jesus Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Do you feel like we have been joined together by something that is supernatural, that is far, far past our, our jobs that bring us together, our, our hobbies or our likes or our age groups or whatever we do to go up together, but much, much more important than that, do we feel like we can't even hardly stand to wait till Sunday to see each other? Not because I'm awesome or anything like that, but because it's, this is our people. This is where we belong. And when I'm out there, I'm isolated from you, the power of God who lives in me and who lives in you. And when we see each other, it's just like, ah, family, fellow soldiers, a part of the building. It's such a big deal. In fact, it's an eternal deal, isn't it? I don't even know how to throw this out here. You know, I really don't know if I'm even making sense to you today. Because this has been working on us so long and I still don't have it figured out. But how do we encourage each other and motivate each other to say, you guys, it's got to be much more than church on Sunday. It's got to be a holy temple. And when tragedy happens 50 miles away, what comes to their mind is like, I got to find a gospel preaching people. And the next thing that comes to their mind is, I know Miller Christian is there. I've heard of their name and they're preaching God's word and they love the people no matter what congregation or denomination or, or what ethnic or what group or what your background is. Not because I'm something, not because you're something, but because we are the body of Christ. And in this area, then people come, not so we can fill the pews, but because we can hold them. And we can say, man, I know how you feel. And I know a Savior who came and knew exactly how I felt. And He died. And He died for me, and He died for you. The church. What a thing. And so we start today on this 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
1 through 11. And before I read that passage, I, I want to tell you about this church. It was, in a, it was in a huge city for the times called Corinth. And they were in Greece, in modern day Greece, ancient Greece, both the same. And they were, they were, they were a port city. And they weren't just your normal port city. They had a lot, the traffic of the world passed through there. The ships that were bringing um, every known luxury passed through Corinth. They were Greek, and so they were highly educated. They were intelligent people. They were healthy people. They had everything then. Well, the picture I'm trying to paint is this, this place where anything that, if, if there was something good in the world, you could get it in Corinth. Not only that, but they were, they, they were people who were educated and had all the knowledge, and so they kind of were puffed up. They had the temple of Aphrodite there, and if you look that up, you'll know what that is, and horrible things, immoral things were accepted as not just part of the, th- of the culture, but it was the, the religious practices, and this is where this church started. They had everything. They had all the luxury, they had all the money, they had all the education, they had uh, lacking morals. Does that remind you of any place? Maybe where we're at today. Isn't that something? So along comes this guy, this horrible sinner, who was Saul at one time and got his name changed to Paul because God loves him so much, but he also loved the Corinthian people so much that he sent this guy called Paul there, and he stayed there 18 months trying to reach these people and establish a church, and that was really, Paul stayed like just a short time usually, but here it was such great importance. He stayed and he taught and he lectured and he preached and he begged the people, be something different because Jesus loves you and he died for you and they started a church and it became a strong church and Paul said great and he moved down the road and the next thing you know he starts hearing reports out of Corinth out of the Corinthian church and finds out after he left then no matter how much they said that they were ready no matter how much he'd poured into the church and begged them to be the body of Christ what he find out now is he's been gone a short time and the church has become like the city instead of the city, has become like the church. And isn't that a shame? They forgot they were the body of Christ. They forgot that they were the buffer zone between the immorality and the horrible stuff that was taking place in the world because of sin, and now they were more like them than they were like the church. I don't know if that applies or not. But it sure is something that we should take into account, isn't it? So Paul comes, or he starts writing this letter then. And his attempt is to reach these people that he knew had accepted the, 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 the gospel. He knew they had been born again, saved. He knew that he left and they were under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he writes him a letter of correction and says, Guys... Let's think about these things. And he writes them like a life application letter. It's not a, so much a doctrinal letter like the book of Romans, you know. It was more of, because that was, he was telling people this is what theology is. To this church, he's like, you guys already know these things. And so come on. 
Let's get back to where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the body and hands and the feet of Christ. And so here's what it starts out with. If you'll just listen to this. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse number 1, the word of the Lord says this. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Isn't that something? A church, a powerful church, a big church, big city, big money, everything they wanted. And he's like, I want to remind you guys where you were. The gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. That first slide says this. The purpose. The purpose of the letter that Paul is writing to them. There's three parts here that we will look at today. I think that Paul was writing this little, this whole letter, of course, but on chapter 15, especially for us to look at today, there was a purpose, there was a focus, and there was a goal of his intentions of what he was doing here. And this first part, these first two verses, is to, the, to remind the church and to assess the situation where they are today, where they were, where they are, and to consider where they might be going and what is the gauge and what is the thermometer of how things are looking for what's going to take place into the future. And he says, you received this gospel. You heard the gospel, and I know where you're at. I know where you were at, at least, when I left you. So there's a past, a present, and a future tense to these first two verses. He says, you receive the gospel and who you are now in the present tense, you had taken a stand. Don't forget that you are saved people. You're different than when I first came. You may have been at the temple of Aphrodite, but now I know that you are at the cross of Jesus Christ, and you are no longer those people, so why on earth do you separate yourselves and go back to those ways? Why on earth would you allow yourselves to leave this body and join the darkness again. See, I think what he was saying is like, you're not bad people because you have Christ in you. you you're, you're misguided, so think about what's taking place to remind them and to assess the situation. I, I think... He says something in here that might be strike some of us odd. And he says, unless you believed in vain. What do you think he might mean by that? In 2 Corinthians 13, 15, he writes another letter. He says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Paul's not making a statement here in chapter chapter 15 that you can lose your salvation. What he meant was that look at your life. If you are the same after you've claimed to come to Christ and nothing has changed in your life, surely you believed in vain. Because Paul knew from his own experience and his own life that once you've truly become a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you and you have no opportunity to stay the old person. That doesn't mean you're perfect by any means. 
But it's this understanding that I cannot go back to where I was. I, I, I can't return there. Because everything in now is in me is different. I can't go back to the way I was. And that's what Paul was trying to say. If you hold firmly, otherwise you have believed in vain. If you've allowed yourself to get so far off the gospel that you claim that you have received, then Paul is saying, we need to look at our lives. He's not doubting salvation. He's not making a point of you can lose your salvation. He's making a point that if you are truly saved, nothing in the world can allow us to go back to the way we were. Not because we have the strength, not because we have the vision, the focus, the energy, anything, but because we are under the grip of the Holy Spirit, God Himself. So Paul's saying, look at your church. What is going on here? How can you guys get this organized and get it back into the understanding of the gospel? And I think that's where we look at the verse 3 through 8, the focus. It goes like this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. First importance of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He's saying this is a fact. What you believed, what you may have uh, uh, walked away from for a time wasn't just something that happened in your life. Look at the benchmarks. Look at the people who are still alive. Go ask them. Go talk to the church. Go talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ and know that this is a reality and get back. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Paul says, you know this is true. So get back to basics, he says, of first importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how far we may have strayed, no matter how messed up the church might look, no matter how much the culture has infiltrated the church, there's always hope for us. It was always hope for the Corinthian church because of the gospel, the truth, the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not a mirage. It happened in Paul's life. It's happened in my life. I know it's happened in Angie's life, and I know for most of you it's happened as well. This is something that we have, and no matter what has happened in the meantime, there's time to get back on track. And Paul said it is the gospel. There's an old story about the legendary coach Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers. They had this unbelievable uh, uh, program there that year after year after year they would just show up on the football field and just beat the heck out of the opposing team and finish the season with this great record. Then they would all come back. It wasn't like free agency that wasn't going on in them days. If you were a Green Bay Packer as a young man, you probably retired of the Green Bay Packers. And so this team stayed together, and they were the best athletes in football in the entire world. And every single spring practice, Vince Lombardi would get these seasoned professionals who knew everything there was to know about football, and he'd walk up, and he'd have a football in his hands, and he'd say, gentlemen, this is a football, and let's start there. Our job here is to take this ball and move it down the field faster and more times than the opposing team. Now let's get this season moving. That's what Paul was saying. 
You may have had the summer off, but here's the gospel. And our goal here is to move it down the field and make more touchdowns than Satan can make out there where it really matters to the lost and the broken. The gospel of first importance. If I asked you to describe the gospel, what would be your answer? I'm not testing you as in you don't know these things. The reason I say things like that, I want, pe- I want you to have an explanation. I want you to know what it is because if we can define it, if we know what it is, then it's not something that is out here that we talk about now and then with our friends on Sunday, but it's actually something that we just cannot ignore Monday through Saturday when we're not with our other soldiers. It is the driving force in our entire lives. And I want to tell you just... This is so important that the gospel is really uh, is a two-part thing. That's what Paul meant when he said, unless you believed in vain. It's a two-part thing in this. It's a person and it's a proposition. It is a person that is Jesus Christ himself. It is accepting him as Lord of all things in your life and never, ever, ever again being able to turn away. It is a proposition, I say, in this. It's not just an altar call. It's not just this thing that you mark on a, on a church membership, but it is absolutely a lifestyle that you can never, ever again walk differently than you are the one he said. It is a proposition because everything in our lives from that point forward is based on the death and the burial and the resurrection of God himself. When you think about the gospel in those terms, how on earth could we argue about the color of the sanctuary and say, I'm not going to go to church there no more? It's an impossibility. When the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ designs or put every desire in my life, I can never, ever again step away from you. And you can never step away from me. Because we're the only team that thinks along that. You're the only soldiers I can rely on. And I need you. And I pray that you need me. Because together we can be strong and separated. We're lost. And we're like those POWs. And that is the closest we'll ever come to being broken. And step away. And Satan rejoices. And people are lost. For those who are truly in the faith, there's no misunderstanding that Jesus is some part-time job or a time clock on Sunday. And so Paul sets out in the last two verses, or three verses, goals. There's a purpose, and there's a focus, and there's a goal. That Paul tells this church, we can do this. Let's just get back on track. Let's remember what we what brought us here is the gospel itself. Let's do this thing. And so he points at his own life, and he says, "I've worked harder than all." But it, you know, this sounds like Paul so many times. If you don't read the entirety of, of what Paul's writings is, sometimes it seems like he's almost bragging about himself. But that's not the case at all. He says, "Look at me. 
I've lost everything. Not as an example to you, but as an understanding the miraculous things that God can do with a sinner like me, because that's also what he calls himself, the worst of the sinners. And now he's saying, I've worked harder than them all. And I think he's standing in front of the congregation there in Corinth, and he's saying, how can I tell you guys how important this is? From the moment I was knocked down in the dirt on the road to Damascus, I couldn't think of anything else but how to motivate each other and encourage each other because I know I see people day after day after day who are dying in their sins and they have absolutely no hope and we cannot afford to get off track anymore and we can't start acting like the world. We have to be the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And so how can he do this? And so he set the goals holding himself up as someone to look at and to encourage the others. And he says, remember? Remember what it felt like when I first taught to you and you had Christ come into your life. It can't be the same anymore. In your bulletin, in your bulletin insert that are, is in your, you get every week now. There's questions. It's going deeper this week. And, and I, I don't know if these have been helpful for you or have encouraged you or motivated you or I don't know if you just throw it away. <laughs> but I'd like you to think about them this week. Question number one. Remember when you first received the gospel, because that's what Paul says in this. Remember? Remember what it was like? Remember what it was like when you first received the gospel? Were you more apt to take that to the street and say, my gosh, I have to tell you about something that's happened in my life, and it's this remarkable miracle. And, and, and do you still feel like that? Or, or, or has the message kind of got complacent in your life. It's something to ask yourself. Paul's saying, remember? Remember what it was like? Number two, have you accepted the gospel both in the person of Jesus Christ? And I think everybody would say yes, but have, how about the second part? Have you allowed the sanctification process to get started in your life without holding Jesus at bay? But instead, day after day, you see him show up in a way and you're just astonished. And now because of that, you can never go back. And number three, are you laboring in the gospel? And if so, where can you point to and say, this is where God has directed me specifically this day, right now, for this reason? Number four, would you commit to pray for this church and for me and for each other? And pray for this town and for SEM and for Amherst and for that poor family up in the Sand Hills. And would you realize who you are in all of this? You are the agents of change, you are the body of Christ. We have been put together for a specific reason and a specific season. And with specific opportunities and tremendous responsibilities. 
and we can no longer act like out there. But we have to bring what happens in here on a Sunday out there on a Tuesday and a Thursday and all the hours in between. Our final scripture that I'll leave you with today is this. How can we do this? Let us think about how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Time is of the essence. For some time is out. But maybe as a church, maybe as the body, maybe as the bride of Christ, someone will be in heaven saying, man, thank God for the outpost of the gospel that Miller Christian. Because if it had not been for those people stepping into my life just when I needed it, Maybe one of your saints that have left this church is there now saying, thank God for that church family, that strong group of believers. But much more importantly than that, someday you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not going to be an altar call or a really strong commitment. It's going to be, what did you do with the gospel? Did it truly transform your life? And if so, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But if it was something that we just did without reflecting, just like Paul asked, did you believe for real? Or was it in vain? Because there's another thing that Scripture says we may hear away from me. It's not meant to scare anybody. But if Paul can tell the church to look at your life, test yourself to see if you're in the faith, I don't think it's above any of us making sure that we are. And if we are then, what on earth are we going to do with the gospel? that has been so graciously poured into each one of our lives who are saved. God bless you guys. Hey guys, thanks for checking us out here today. If you'd like to learn more, just visit us at www.millerchristianchurch.org. Thank you guys. See you later.